Hello, everybody. Welcome to Standard Definition here on Barfresh Network. I'm your host, the enlightened, excited Eddie V. Joining me from he is one of the world one of one of affiliate. <laughs> I'm just trying to get that word out. I don't know why. Uh, Words are hard sometimes. Exactly. Everybody, please welcome Wesley Evans. Hello, hello. hello. Uh, as he said, my name is Wes. Uh, I run my own podcast right now called So Many Games, So Little Time. Uh, that podcast, I just talk about games on Xbox Game Pass. You know, there's currently over 400 on the service. You can't possibly be expected to try out all of them. So that's kind of what I do for you. And uh, so I host Discord conversations where I let people come in, whether they played the game or not. If you have played it, you get to give your thoughts. If you haven't, you get to ask questions. And all in all, we just have a good time saying if we'd recommend it or not. Yes, I'm uh, I'm playing Worker of Lotus War on a Game Pass. Um, and I'll eventually buy for Switch, <laughs> but um, yeah. that's that's kind of what I'm playing. I I have a thing about Game Pass, but I am enjoying it for this five month trial. I should say, I am enjoying it. Gotcha. So, um, but we are here to talk about the Wii U. It, I think it's time for us to have this conversation. Um, I am a proud owner of a Wii U, still am. Um, kind of when Nintendo Power Block started, uh, Wii U was in motion. Um, me and my friend Corey Derrick, um, he's the other co-founder of Boss Rush. Um, we kind of started, uh, around with Breath, like Breath of the Wild being announced and coming out. Um, but we've been talking about Wii U and the games from Nintendo. That's how Nintendo Power Block started. So, you know, a lot of people think it's, it was one of Nintendo's not worst systems, but a big failure in a sense. Um, and just giving you guys some history about the Wii U, um, which I kind of find out find it surprising that they announced the Wii U at um, E3 in June of 2011, and the system ended up releasing in uh, November in North America, November 18th, 2012. Uh, and they had two models. They had a white one that was like uh, eight gigabyte for two hundred and ninety nine dollars, and then they had the black one was a deluxe with thirty two gigabytes, which was for three forty nine. Later on, they were able to add the external hard drive. So regardless of what system that you had, if you needed extra um, data. Or you know storage, you could just plug it to an external hard drive and go about your day and put games on there. Um, it is a CD-based system. Um, one of the main attractions to it was its gamepad, where you could play the game on the TV. But if someone wanted to use the TV, you could move the game to the gamepad and play it there. Um, it had touch motion to the gamepad, and it also had use the Wii um, motion controllers in order to play some of the games and do extra stuff. Um, there's a three-minute trailer out there showing you uh, what the Wii U was all about. And now, there has been confusion about it because people thought this was 
the new iteration of the Wii or some kind of connection. But no, it was Nintendo's uh, next-gen console, their first time getting into the HD era. So where were you, Wes, when they announced the Wii U in 2011? I was in middle school. So uh, in terms of buying consoles at that point, it's very much what your parents are willing to get you, Mm -hmm. you know? And so uh, having your parents buy you more than one console per generation is kind of a hard thing to convince them to do when you're in middle school. And I want to say when it actually released, I was a freshman in high school. I think I just started high school. And so uh, it was for me, it was between that and the Xbox One. I know surprising PlayStation wasn't on the radar at the time for me, but eventually I, I chose the Xbox just because that's what my friends had. And, you know, I was wanted to be able to play with them. Yeah, I at the time I was working at Toys R Us at that time. So I did watch that E3 how about the Wii U and I thought it was like literally cool because I was just like oh throwing the ninjas oh you could play off and it was just like oh they're mixing their handheld design with their console design um and then I started thinking about it more I'm like wow I could watch Netflix and Hulu and YouTube no though on my headphones I could play games while probably even like he listened to a podcast while I'm playing on my gamepad and it was kind of amazing thinking about all the things that could happen Uh, and we're going to get later on into the library because they had some hits for um, the Wii U Um, and one in particular that I don't know Wes what you thought about it but um, Bayonetta 2 I've actually not played Bayonetta 2 yet I played Bayonetta 1 and thought it was amazing. Mm -hmm. Uh, You had to play Bayonetta 2 on Switch. (laughs) You had to get Uh, that. If I find it on sale, I might pick it up. Well, did you know that it came to the Wii U as an exclusive at E3 when they announced it? Yeah, I heard the story. Uh, Sega couldn't find, or they were actually trying to reach out to Microsoft and Sony, I believe, Mm -hmm. trying to see which one of them would want it as a console exclusive more. And neither of them were willing to play ball. They basically said, look, we get the games good, but we don't think it's enough for what you're asking. So Nintendo was like, but what about us? We can do it. Well, and there was a lot of upset when that happened. Right, because Bayonetta 1 was not available for the Wii, but it was for the 360 and PS3. Yes, because that was the first game that came out of Platinum Games. Uh, And then Vanquish was like, I believe, the second game that came out and then they started doing other things because we at the point of time no one knew that Nintendo and Platinum were together to make this to make this game you know I'll say while I haven't played Bayonetta 2 yet I am very glad that Nintendo Platinum are having this partnership now I have played Astral Chain and that is amazing 
as a big fan of JoJo, being able to basically play a stand user who's also a cop, you can't tell me that's not a great time. <laughs> yes. The trailer threw me off for a loop because I'm just... What was funny was this, I think this was before Microsoft bought Ninja Theory. I looked at it and I was just like, okay, this looks like a platinum game. This is kind of action packed. But I thought Nintendo got with Ninja Theory to make a game. And I would and I would have been like the trifecta of action developers have worked with Nintendo. You know, Team Ninja worked with Nintendo to do Metroid Other M. Platinum did Bayonetta 2. And did to have Ninja Theory if they came in and did Astro Chain, like this whole different art style, I kind of would have just like passed out and just be like, Nintendo did it. Like, I don't know how they did it, but they did it. <laughs> and kind of find out it was Platinum Games and didn't realize it. Because uh, I think when Astro Chain was announced on Switch, I don't think um, Ninja Theory was part of Microsoft yet. I want to say they were, because it was, shoot, so it was, when was it announced? It was during a Direct. I remember it was the closing game of the Direct that came out that month. Yes. I think 2008, no. It was between 18 or 19, because it came out in 19 in August. It may have been 19, because it was like announced like in March, I think. And then the game so, came out like that August. I got you. So Microsoft bought Ninja Theory. I just looked it up in June of 2018. So it might have actually been announced before they were bought. Okay. Okay. Yeah, because that was at E3. And that, man, that E3 from Microsoft blew everybody away. I I hollered. <laughs> I screamed. It was just like, yes, we have purchased Ninja Theory. I said, what? I mean, they, they've been buying a lot of studios lately. Yes. I mean, and they've true. got a lot of the a lot of the big great studios and some of the smaller ones uh i'm really happy they bought Dub double fine personally because uh you've you've heard me talk about how much i love psychonauts too yes i i remember uh were you on the call when i was very visibly upset over the fact that it lost best art direction at oh, the game yeah. awards yes look i haven't played death loop but when i do eventually get to it that has already soured my opinion of it. I kind of... The Game Awards is a whole nother discussion because it, it, that it takes two taking Game of the Year and Family Game. I... Yes. I Honestly, I will say this. While it wasn't my Game of the Year, I'm not upset because I'm glad that games like it are getting the spotlight shown on it. You know, I, I am upset. You know, because uh, we're talking about Wii U. We would discuss that. We are talking topic. about Wii U. Well, <laughs> well, we, you know what? We'll, you can have another episode on Game Awards and you can bring me back on here. How about yes. that? Yes. Um, so, yeah, Bayonetta 2 was a big... Um, it, it, it was funny because um, D, even DMC Devil May Cry was a big controversy. Like, two of those action games was controversies because 
one people didn't like the style, the other one was just like they can't believe it's on a, a Nintendo platform. But whatsoever. Um, what did you think of the Wii U when you saw the design and probably heard about the gamepad? I'll be honest. At the time, I was actually kind of impressed. You know, I uh, now we have the Switch, so it's not hard to think about hybrid consoles. But yes, you know, when you're a kid and you know your parents want the TV, they get the TV, and so being able to let them have it and play your own game was, at the time, something that kid me was actually kind of wanting. Unfortunately, though. Uh, like I said, you can't get two consoles when you're trying to convince your parents to shell out that money for you. Yes. So it unfortunately didn't happen. I prioritized the console that my friends had so I could play with them. Yes. And I think, I know for me, as you know, I'm a big Nintendo fan. I love Nintendo. I put them first when it comes to video game consoles and companies. Like Nintendo will always be number one. I was kind of shocked that, you know, the the reason why I love Nintendo because of innovation. They always are innovating. They're always willing to try something. They're always putting out games that that is fitting to their system, but will also resonate with gamers later on or and sometimes make gamers regret that they didn't play at that time when it came out. It's they they provide an experience that's that is somewhat memorable because like Hyrule Warriors on on uh Wii U like uh, uh, uh is it Omega Force or W Force or one of the teams that does the Warrior games at uh Kobe Tecmo teaming up with Nintendo to bring this action pack Legend of Zelda game and this is the one that get people into the Warrior series. Like, we were like, what is this craziness? Like, we did not expect anything. And then, even going further than that, if we're going to get into the games, everybody, even further than that, them teaming up with Atlas to make Tokyo Mirage Session. F.E. Craziness. And, like, people let that game flop, and I don't know why. It's so good. <laughs> Definitely with people who had a love for Persona FES. But I think it was, at that time, people were just now getting into Atlas games. Even though Atlas been putting out high-quality RPG JRPGs for a long time. Um, the fact that they hadn't released anything on Nintendo consoles, unless you count handhelds, though, probably made the fact that they had a big one on Nintendo's new home console, uh, it was harder to get them into it. You know, people who wanted to play the Persona series most likely mm-hmm. had a PlayStation at this point. And if you were super into JRPGs, you probably stuck with PlayStation and got PS4 that generation. So that's probably a big part of the reason why it flopped, at least well, in terms of sales. Well, the, it so Trauma Center was one of Atlas games that was on the Wii, but it never came to Wii U, that series. Um, right. And we, I, think I we guess were, I shouldn't say Atlas is... Ne- I shouldn't have said Atlas has never made a home console game for Nintendo, but most of their games they did for Nintendo were for handhelds. Yes, that is true, yes. Um, because they... I think Atlas did some stuff for Super Nintendo. Um, 
but you know for a lot of people they didn't like really pay attention to a lot of atlas stuff they were really niche when they came out with their games and it was because of playstation one we were getting some of their back catalog and like they were known on ps2 but it was still like a small kind of company because they games were just like limited release like you couldn't they didn't have the sale numbers like they do now um with their games um so now wes (laughs) did you ever uh catch their uh launch lineup of games i do not believe i did okay so this is their list of games that they launched uh the wii u with assassin's creed 3 batman arkham city armor edition call of duty black ops 2 darksiders 2 epic mickey 2 the power of 2 sports connection espn sports connection i think that was their football game fifa 13 fifa soccer 13 for some places um funky bar game party champions just dance 4 mass effect 3 special edition new super mario brothers u ninja gaiden 3 razor's edge nintendo land rabbit's land scribbernauts unlimited sing party skylanders giants sonic and all uh, sonic all-star racing transform Tekken tag tournament 2 wii u edition transformers prime the game warriors orochi 3 hyper wipe out 3 your shape fitness evolve 2013 zombie u that's a longer list than i thought it would be yes um when i was working at toys r us and i put it all um ea like they put madden and mass effect 3 on there but people on the wii u and people love mass effect 3 people was just like why don't we have one and two so when mass effect trilogy came out on ps3 and 360 they ea had dropped all ea had dropped their support after the launch of the system Part of the problem with just launching Mass Effect 3 is all the games tie into each other, not just in the story how as written, yes. but your choices in Mass Effect 1 affect Mass Effect 2, affect Mass Effect 3. So if you're starting with the third game in the trilogy, it's not just that these games exist on their own, because they do, and they're still great games, but you are getting an objectively inferior version, even if we set aside hardware limitations and all that. Yes, and uh, to add more to that, it was just that when EA cut their support for them, people was we never got a uh, explanation on why, um, because they the system was selling, it was doing numbers, so and EA was all about numbers and everything, but we didn't expect them to cut their support just after the launch of the system. Like we didn't see anything. Like everybody will, people wanted um, Army of Two on on Wii U. Uh, people wanted some of their uh, older titles that was on PS3 and 360 that could be played on Wii U. People would have played it like Dead Space. Um, you know, people would have played it on Wii U if they would have supported, but EHS gave up on it. 
Um, and kind of one of the biggest third party supporters on there was Ubisoft. Um, because like Warner Brothers, they did support it. Um, but we didn't get like Mortal Kombat 10, we got Injustice, and you know, that was it. We didn't get Injustice 2 or anything. Um, it, it, it was just kind of well, actually, yeah, we got in. Did we get Injustice? I think we did. I think we got the first Injustice, but not Injustice 2. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, so Injustice was ported to Wii U. To Wii U, yeah. And and because people were buying that version because they knew that they may not see it again or anything. Um, What did you think of the third-party support on Wii U? Uh, definitely with you not owning the system, but you having Xbox One. Um, looking at it from that perspective, what did you think? So at launch, it seemed like it was going to be kind of impressive. You know, you mm-hmm. have the big names out there already saying that, hey, we're going to port our games over to this console right here because we know the Wii wasn't all that powerful and it struggled with a lot of the games we did before. But now the Wii U is starting to catch up, so let's do this. So at launch, it seemed rather impressive, but it dropped off fast, kind of like you said, when EA stopped doing it. It kind of started a chain reaction, I think. Eventually, developers realized their games, I, I guess they weren't selling well on the Wii U or they just licked their fingers, stuck it in the wind, and said, we can tell this is where it's going. So post-launch, the third-party support seemed weaker, in my opinion. Mm. But definitely a strong showing at first, especially with that list of games that you just read. Yeah, and I think what ended up happening in that era, it was kind of great. Um, I was talking to my friend, Austin, who was like, he's the co-host of Crossroads, the PlayStation podcast. We was talking, and when I was telling him about the, this Wii U discussion, we got to talking about, you know, during that era, it was about numbers. And it really felt like a lot of developers weren't, you know, trying new IPs, and there was just so many sequels and stuff. And there was a assumption that their games weren't set, going to sell on Wii U. And people were just like, we would buy it on Wii U if you gave it the full quality and care like that you do for the other systems. Because content was being cut, you know, the, the Nintendo version was getting delayed, like Watch Dogs. You know, Watch Dogs got delayed from the uh, other consoles. And then I think it didn't come out to, some people say it, it was August, but it didn't really come out to like the following year. Um, You know, and even though Watch Dogs did okay in numbers, Mario Kart 8 destroyed it. But like, it was kind of like the swan song of Ubisoft, you know, kind of supporting Nintendo because of the numbers and everything. And so when I'm, think of greed as that it was just like they were more about the numbers because those numbers produce revenue um and since nintendo was going to get since there was an assumption that nintendo was going to get the lowest numbers because they didn't have that many consoles out um it was kind of just amazing because even if you look at some of the third-party games that did come out to wii u 
if you go to a GameStop and everything and you're trying to buy it, sometimes it was like still 45 to 50 some dollars. And then you look at the Xbox or PS3 version and it's like $8.79. Right. The Nintendo tax very much is a real thing. And anyone who says it isn't only owns Nintendo or has never owned Nintendo. Yes. Because it, it was just like, I think with Nintendo, just like if you buy that version, you are a collector. Keep it. Don't get rid of it because you know in the future you're not going to see it on that platform ever again. Right. You know, I think we so. I think we saw similar stuff to that, though, with third party developers jumping ship on Nintendo. Uh, I don't know if you remember this or not, but back in the GameCube era, Capcom struck a deal with Nintendo. I believe it was to release. I can't remember the exact number. I want to say it was called the Capcom five. It was. They said yes. they were going to do five exclusive games for GameCube. Two of them never happened. And the three that were released were eventually ported to PlayStation 2. Well, uh, two of them were ported. PNO3 never went to PlayStation. All right, gotcha. Yeah, so Beautiful Joe ended up being on PlayStation. Um, uh, and Resident Evil 4 was on PlayStation. Yes. And the funny thing about the PlayStation version of Resident Evil 4, I had never seen it in stores. Like, I, I've i never seen it in stores, and I didn't see Capcom marketed. I've always seen the GameCube version. Because when it came out on GameCube, it literally was, I, I think it won Game of the Year. But, it, oh, no, I don't think it won it. But it was literally nominated as Game of the Year. Because it was, like, the first game that had Game of the Year nominations. Right. Uh, wasn't Killer Seven eventually ported to PS2, or did that stay GameCube for a while? It stayed as it stayed for GameCube. Um, that one. I know it's on get, Steam now. But. Yeah, it's on Steam now. I don't think it got ported to PlayStation. Because I know that I think that was the first. PNO3 was the first one, or Killer Seven was the first one. Uh, Killer Seven was uh, ported to PlayStation Two. Okay, so then it must have came like a little bit later then. Um, probably. Yeah, probably. Yeah, because I would have expected Okami would have got ported to GameCube, but it didn't. It stayed as a PlayStation Two. Like Nintendo didn't get it until uh, the Wii version of Okami, um, and then they re-released it as Okami HD on Switch. Uh, but the, the, po- the point I'm trying to make here, though, is we've seen it happen before with Nintendo yes. consoles that don't sell well, uh, regardless of what how much you love the GameCube. I know plenty of people who swear on the GameCube like it's the Bible, you know, mm-hmm. but the fact is it was the least selling console of that generation. And as a result, having games exclusive to it when you're a third party developer is a big risk, you know? Yes. And c- it was the thing, and then, well, it's kind of weird because even with the Wii U, you see people wanting those games now. So it kind of feels like, even though, yes, the GameCube and Wii U so less, there's some form of regret for people who are, were around that time. Not new gamers or anything who know nothing about it. It was kind of just, it's kind of like, I wish I would have played this game when it came out. So when you see people stream it, some of these games, people do tune in and watch it to be like, 
I've never known about this game. They did this. They did that. You know, like Eternal Darkness is one of my favorite GameCube games. Um, but then you got Tales of Symphonia. That, yeah, it did come to PlayStation 2, but people remember that game on GameCube. You know, uh, right. and I think that's why when you look at Switch now and they've been porting games from there, every people are asking for Xenoblade Chronicles X. Because that was a Wii U exclusive, and it was a game that people were amazed. It, it it sold like a million copies. I think it did well, but people were amazed that this game was even running on Wii U with all that was going on. And then when people found out that Breath of the Wild was helped out by Monolith Soft, it blew people's minds. Right. You know, um, some of the biggest games on Wii U... Uh, was of course Mario Kart 8. That sold that sold eight million copies. Um, uh, Pikmin 3, New Super Mario Brothers U, um, Smash Brothers, uh, Wii U, along with the 3DS. Like that was kind of cool. And I don't. So I had the 3DS version and I had the Wii U version, but I would play the game through my 3DS on Wii U because I like the 3DS controls. Over the gamepad and pro controller. Uh, I'm personally of opinion that I need that second joystick so I can do tilt attacks easier. Uh huh. So yeah, I always set right stick to tilt, so I, I could never use a 3DS controller to play Smash. I would I would be trash. <laughs> I think it was because of me playing Samus. She's a brawler, so that's why I was just like, sure. ah, yes, this just feels yeah. so good. <laughs> She's more projectile and grab heavy, so yes. So, so less reliant um, on those tilt attacks. <laughs> yes. So, but that was that was a cool thing that you know using your handheld because I think Smash is the only game that did it in a sense that you could use your 3ds along with the main console to control or play as a character um, with it. Uh, some of their other big titles, uh, Paper Mario, Color Splash. Um, the Kirby game that was like a that was in Play-Doh in a sense, uh, the clay one, um, but that even though that was hard because you had to draw on the gamepad, but you were missing what was happening on, on the TV. Um, Yoshi's Woolly World, oh, such a good game. And I'm, I'm just gonna the, take a wild guess and assume that poster behind you means that you're a fan. Oh yes, I. Oh yes, I love Woolly World. I actually got that from Toys R Us when we closed now. Like their Nintendo oh. posters, I took. Uh, I love Woolly World. One of the best soundtracks on the Wii U. Uh, it's so relaxing and it's so kitty. And seeing them go into this was, I think it was a different thing because Kirby Epic Yarn kind of started them using yarn uh, but Nintendo went in heavy using arts and craft as a art style you know and yeah we had Little Big Planet but I don't think Sony was allowing Media Molecule to do what Nintendo was doing in a sense I gotcha yes um Super Mario Brother, uh, Super Mario Maker was the one that 
kind of like had everybody like creating finally being able to create Mario level, uh, Mario levels, but it was kind of their new IP Splatoon that got everybody talking about Nintendo's online and doing multiplayer and changing the rules of multiplayer games. Like you got two levels, and it wasn't about killing the other team; it was about getting the most paint on. Right. You know that was a different concept for Nintendo. Uh, I'd say that was that it's certainly a creative take on the shooter genre. Yeah. Uh, I would say though, if, at least in my opinion, when I first saw the first Splatoon, uh, I wasn't that impressed simply because objective-based shooters, you know, are nothing new. Mm-hmm. Uh, games like Overwatch, you know, is basically exclusively uh, or almost exclusively objective-based. There are team kill modes, but when it launched, those weren't there, you know? Right. So, um, were there any kind of Wii U games that kind of surprised you that it was on a console um, when you when you heard about it or you seen them? Uh, honestly, not really, no. Not outside of that launch window. Mm-hmm. Because after that, it was mostly Nintendo IPs that were out there that were the big ones that everyone knows about. And you kind of expect Nintendo to make games for their own console, you know? You got to try to keep selling. Yes. And I think it was... um, It it was kind of... Because we know Xbox One was, at that time, was going through some difficulties. Um, And it was was still being hurt by E3's um, execution. You know, PS4 was doing well. I'm not going to sit here and tell you Xbox did great during that era. PlayStation dominated that generation, and both of us can admit that, I think. Yes. Um, and it took it, it kind of took Microsoft to recover from that. Um, but I think with Nintendo, with definitely with the Wii U, it was kind of surprising because, like, when, you, when people seen that Wind Waker was getting an HD version, People went out to buy it. When Twilight Princess was getting an HD version, people went out to buy it. And then the Amiibos happened. Honestly, didn't Nintendo make more money off of Amiibo when they released than they did off of games that year? Uh, yes. Um, so I am not too proud to admit that on the desk where my laptop is, I have an excessive number of them. Mostly for Smash. But I do. I do, in fact, collect them. So I'm not above admitting that. I think a lot. And people still today collect the Mabels when Nintendo bring it, bring them out. You know, Um, there's a reason they still print them. They take up shelf space. So, you know, if they don't sell, Nintendo does probably ends up losing money. So, yes. Um, well, it's it was kind of weird because, you know, Skylanders was such a big game on Wii, and then it became a bigger game on Wii U also, um, because people were spending that money to get those characters. But when the Amiibo came out, people were just like, I got to have this because I... You know, it's going to be used for different games, not just one game and stuff. Like the Legend of Zelda, yes, it's used for Smash, but like Twilight Princess, Breath of the Wild, 
and uh, Wind Waker, that one uh, Zelda character could be used. Uh, and I think more people were just like in the art of collecting it, but then you see people do their own custom make version from the original. Like they would buy the original and then custom make it. I've seen that. I actually had my girlfriend do that for me once. So uh, I got a couple of Animal Crossing Amiibo from Five Below. Uh-huh. And the Tom Nook one was missing the NFC chip, right? <gasps> so, yeah. So I couldn't use it for games anyway. But uh, our local our local minor league baseball team is called the Rocket City Trash Pandas. Yeah. <laughs> so I basically asked her she's very artistic i asked her if she could basically paint over it and look like the mascot for the team and i don't have it with me on my desk but she did and it's beautiful ah yes nice um what did you think about uh that e3 so uh reggie and iwata are fighting did you watch that e3 that nintendo direct three I don't think I watched it live, but I did. Wa- I did watch that reveal trailer for Amiibo and the Mii's coming to Smash. Uh huh. And I just gotta say, one of the best Smash character reveals of all time, and no one can tell me different. Yes, uh, I, man, that cloud one though, that cloud reveal, ooh, that one was good. Uh- I'll say Cloud was hype because of the character, but I when I look at the reveals, I try to separate how much I like the character from the uh-huh. reveal itself. You know, yes. if you only look at what they were allowed to do for the trailer, Cloud was kind of lacking, to be honest. But I understand why people were excited anyway, because it's Cloud Strife in Smash. Yes, I I think it the the funny thing about the Amiibo re- reveal was that. Iwata and Reggie was fighting. And no matter how, you know, CG it was or whatever, it was it was fun. It was crazy. It was like exciting because it's just like you guys are, you know, they're getting down low in this martial arts position and they're fighting. (laughs) Like they're doing these this manga stuff. And then to see Iwata do the uh, directly to you motion at Reggie, <laughs> and then they just meet up and then fight. It was bonkers, but it was so much fun. It really spoke Nintendo to us. Right. It, it, I know you just said it, but it felt like the most Nintendo Smash reveal that had come out. It was yes. just so ridiculous that no matter how cheesy it was, you had to love it. Yes. And then seeing Reggie say, Mario and then bam <laughs> like it it was so cool to see that I, and I, I think the Wii U era with the Nintendo Directs really kind of like changed where digital presentations were at because we didn't have inside Xbox and we didn't have state of play you know when we found out because 2013 is when they switched to start doing direct styles for marketing their games and stuff and it became the format of it because not only were we getting the Wii U stuff in 3DS you know we like I mentioned the Smash Run but we also got the Robot Chicken E3 you know, I remember that one, the one where uh, it had someone badgering on to Reggie about finally porting Mother 3 over to the West. 
Yes. Yes. <laughs> that you one know, was hilarious. Yeah, and it's just like, I think when you go back and you watch those E3s and you watch the announcement trailers for uh, the Wii U for their games, you just be amazed and something put a smile to you. And we haven't even, ch- let's touch on the eShop because who knew that the eShop on the Wii U, whether it's cumbersome or not, um, who knew that it was explode to what it is now? Like recently, Zero Mission and Metroid Fusion blew up in sales for it. But then you also had where you could put your games and folders on the Wii U. You know, uh, I were buy- I was buying for for. Uh, games on it. Um, when Xenoblade Chronicles X came out, I was able to download the uh, the patch before the game came out. Uh, the Bayonetta uh, demo and stuff. Like the eShop on Wii U, kind of was just like amazing in a sense. Right. I I as someone who didn't own a Wii U but now owns a Switch. I'm looking at all these things people are saying about the Wii U eShop and I'm wondering why is this not also on Switch? Why don't we get folders? Why don't we get a virtual console? Um, I and no, I do not count the online service. Yes. Um I don't know. I'm puzzled myself. Like I would love folders because the folders that we were putting on Wii U, we were making folders for our indie games. We were making folders for our Nintendo and whatever third party. And even when they was doing sales and everything, we were, you know, uh, doing folders with that because it made that organization easier to do. And then, you know, it, it was just a mate to me personally. I think that's when getting into the digital purchases for Nintendo, I think that started to open their eyes because they were all cartridge and CD based. They were like all physical stuff. Like you didn't really get digital purchases until maybe, no, I don't think they did on DS. I think you didn't get physical purchases until the Wii. And then it just exploded from there. You know, they got rid of the point system. They did the dollar amount. Um, in Japan, uh, you know, right now where you could touch your credit card and pay it uh, um, that way for things like you don't have to slide it in. You can just touch it uh, like Bluetooth it and then pay it. They had that in Japan before America got it on their Wii U. They could literally touch. I think it's the NFTs or something like that. Uh, not the not uh, the stuff. NFC. NFC. NFC is a scam. Yes, <laughs> sorry about that, everybody. Uh, oh, that's a that Konami thing. Oh, oh. that's that's yes. a conversation we can have all together about NFTs. Did you hear Sega's latest headline regarding them? Yeah, th- uh, they th- will walk back if reaction is negative. Hey, Sega, reaction is negative. Yes, I, I. I think they put i think sega posted something today saying that they're not going to do it uh, i i missed the update but that makes me happy let's say it, it should take you all of five minutes to know the reaction is going to be negative yes because people are people are upset with konami and square enix at this time 
and I'm not saying this makes it okay, but Konami's at least if I'm understanding correctly, not even putting the NFTs in the game. That's game-related NFTs, and people were still mad at them. And rightfully so. NFTs are a scam. But I'm just saying that theirs was not as bad, and people are still reacting this way. How could you not know we're going to hate it? <laughs> who knew? Who knows? Um... Who yeah, who who knows? Uh, uh but yeah, NFCs. We were talking about credit cards and NFC chips. Yes. <laughs> um that I don't know why I say NFTs. It's just that's just been on my mind. That's just been a talk. Um uh, so forgive me everybody. NFCs, yes. Um yeah, and I think this is where the NDC really started to explode on Wii U because it felt like PlayStation and Xbox abandoned, even though Xbox is kind of uh, the place where indie games were started from, from the console point of view, instead of like PC. They have been doing that way back early in the 90s and 2000s, you know, uh, Alien Hominid. Um, it was one of the games and stuff um, that was like in its own kind of screen that you could play on the computer. Uh, you know, right. Microsoft was kind of the start on the 360 with the indie sync, and then it, they just kind of like fell away. And then when those indie games started coming to the Wii U, people were buying them, people were finding them, talking right. about them. Um, definitely Didn't, shovel-, uh, shovel Knight. Yeah, I was yeah. just about to say. Didn't Shovel Knight get big because it was ported to Wii U? Or get it got bigger, I should say. It was it was it was exclusively on Wii U and PC when it came out. So it right. was on yeah, it was you. only on those consoles. And when people found because people were just like, What is this game? Because it was like Yacht Club, and people didn't know the history of Way Fort that they came from. So it was just like, Oh, okay, you guys are coming from Way Fort, you're making your own game, and they exploded into what it is. Like the music, the gameplay. I, it, I think it was that eight-bit sprite um look to it and music and feel that people were like what is this and then it just blew up it blew yacht club up um because it was on uh the wii u and nintendo promoted it as hard as yacht club was promoting it like even when that game came to playstation and xbox it didn't get the promotion that they that nintendo was doing was promoting it like it like it showed up in a nintendo direct that's how you know your game made it of interest when it was in a nintendo direct during the wii u era right you know i think we're still seeing that today you know we've got the nindy directs now so yes. nintendo dedicates whole directs to them and you you saw that start with the Wii U, maybe not the Nindy Direct itself, but the yes. lo- the support for indie developers that's blown up now. And I know a lot of people who honestly use their Switch as an indie machine, basically. That's that's where they get all their indie games from. Yeah, and you know, people double dip on the Switch. Uh, me and Larry, we talked about that. Like, we would buy the digital, but if limited run or the game somehow show up on Best Buy, we'll go out and buy the physical. <laughs> you know, because we want to have that as not only our collection, but some kind of like a backup, you know, because like I bought Streets of Rage 4, but it didn't come when the game came out, so I had to buy it digitally, you know. Uh, 
But yeah, during the during the Wii U era, it was just like I think Nintendo was still shocked and surprised that people were buying the indie games and some of the ge- like because we ended up getting like Super Nintendo, NES, and then once once we started getting the Game Boy Advance games on the eShop on Wii U, oh, people was like you said, just how indies was the game was was the thing that the Switch is used for. People were buying tons of Game Boy Advance games on Wii U. You know, right. didn't they go all the way up to DS on the Wii U? I could be remembering wrong, but I want to say they did. I think so. I, I, they probably did. Um, you know, uh, like I think so. Yeah. So it gets close to them announcing the Switch and. Their final game was Breath of the Wild. Um, do you think that was a great way to end the console life of it? Because it was only available. Uh, uh, it was only. It wasn't available for long. I think it's their shortest console life for the system. Um, it, uh, it was 2012 to 2017, so it was about. Uh, Close to five years in total, we look at it. So I don't... It's hard to say. Everyone associates Breath of the Wild as a Switch game, you know? Yes. Kind of like how no one thinks of Twilight Princess as a GameCube game. You know? Similar yes. idea. And it while it was on the Wii U, I didn't have the Wii U version, so I can't speak for this myself, but I heard it did not run very well on the Wii U. I heard that the Switch was the very much better version, the vastly superior version. Mm-hmm. So it, it was it, it ran it ran okay. It was having some frame rate issues, um, and I think that was due to the fact that the game wasn't being patched. They were still trying to fix some issues because I. My assumption is is that they knew that the switch was happening, and I think Anuma and the team had like six months or whatever they had some or nine months or something to port that Wii U version to the Switch because they was building the game up on Wii U. They didn't. There was no plans or doing the Switch version until Iwata and them, or uh, to Nintendo, some of the people in Nintendo told them, "Oh, you guys are going to be doing the Switch version of this." So they was porting, they was porting that game to uh, Switch, and I think a lot of the team had to leave the Wii U version in order to get the Switch version up and running. So it, they had some problems with it on it, but it wasn't like it was crashing or anything. It was just mostly frank, some frame rate issues. That was it. I got, I got you. So on paper, it would have been a great way to send the console out. But unfortunately, considering the superior version was on the next-gen hardware, uh, I'm going to have to say no. I don't think it was the best way they could have said farewell to the Wii U. Well, I kind of feel like it was. Um, We knew the system was being discontinued, but they was going to bring the final game. And since Switch was, like, really hard to get a hold of, and people, yet they still bought Legend of Zelda for the Switch, I think a lot of people were still willing to pick up the Wii U version so they could have that experience. Because the thing about it is when people brought it, it was just like, do not tell me anything about what you're doing on this game on like social media. 
Like people right. were people were hushing other people up. And I think once Switch became more available and when people were picking it up, they revisit Breath of the Wild. Like people just restarted the game or just started the game on it. So I think it I yes, the Swan song is kind of like I wish they would have did one more game. But I kind of felt like you ended on Breath of the Wild as a first party company, you know, and you gave people a chance to still play this game to experience it before the system came to an end, you know, officially came to an end. So I kind of say it, I think it's a it was a good way to end on that number because I'm like, what game does Nintendo bring out to end? On the Wii U before their new console, or well, while their new console was out, you know. I got you. I'm not saying it was a bad game, but there what the better version was not on the Wii U. You yes. Know? So I'm just saying it's hard to say it was the best way to end the Wii U when the better version was not on that console. You get what yes. I mean? That is true. Yes. Um. So we, I, but, we but I get what you're saying. The, the hype behind Breath of the Wild was very much real. Yes. Um, it would be remiss if I did not mention Captain Toad Treasure Tracker. Man. Game on my Switch. Love it. Yes. That little thing. Well, because Super Mario 3D uh, World is uh, kind of a play on or successor to Super Mario 3D Land that was on 3DS. But this one, you got to turn into cats. Um, there was a side mini game where you control Toad, and it was a puzzle game, and you couldn't jump. So Nintendo made a whole game out of it, and boy, did that game sell. People loved it. And it was like their only $40 game that came out for the Switch that I think of. Um, that people just love. And people we brought on the Wii on, on the Switch because the DLC came out. And it was just like, oh my goodness. Who knew that they would bring out new DLC? Because I don't think the DLC came out to the Wii U. I think it only came out to the Switch. I think that's correct. Yes. Um, but it was such dis kind of cool puzzle game um you know we got nintendo land that also came out to it um i think there was some other stuff that's on of course just dance was part of it um but then we got like some of the sonic games on wii u um that uh was kind of questionable (laughs) for it but at least Sega was putting some stuff out on it. I know Sonic uh, All-Star Transform uh, was a really big one on Wii U that people loved um, for it. Um, and if for people, and we're going to end up with this one, uh, for people who don't know, Yakuza did come to the Wii U, but it only was sold in Japan. And it only sold 4,000 copies. That's why we didn't get it into America. Such a shame because the Yakuza series is great. Yeah, I, it's I, I hear I I don't <clears throat> sorry, <clears throat> I hear it's actually selling decently well on Xbox now that it got ported on there. At least yes. it's a big enough deal that Microsoft bought the rights to put the entire series on Game Pass. Yes. So, 
Yeah. Uh, the one that was going to be, oh, the one that came to be you was Yakuza 1 and 2 of the PS2 versions. Yeah. Um, so uh, the I think they're called Kiwami now. Yakuza Kiwami? Yes. I want to say. Yes. Was it Those the are... remastered Kiwami version or was it basically the PS2 but just slightly better graphics? It's a remake of the PS of, of the PS2. So Kiwami and Kiwami 2 are remakes of 1 and 2. So they upped the graphics to look as like Yakuza 0, 3, 4, and 5 to, to have that kind of quality in the graphics. So they kind of like I, redid the whole game. Um, I got sense. you. Yeah, because everybody in America was going to buy the Yakuza series whenever it came to America. And because it didn't sell well in Japan, it didn't come. Um, we didn't get that really much import games for it. But I think Wii U was a system that you could literally play uh, any game on it. I think they didn't have uh, no restrictions. So if you want to put a Japanese game in it, you could literally play it. Region lot. It was a region lot on Wii U, I believe. Um, so uh, were there any games on Wii U, even though you didn't own it, that interest you? that you wish that you kind of did play when it came out? Uh, I'll say uh, Smash definitely interested me. Uh, Brawl was my favorite game on the Wii. I know it's looked down upon now to in the Smash community to say that you like Brawl. I don't care. I liked Brawl. Uh, so that almost made me want it, if I'm being honest. But my friend who did have a Wii U, my one friend who had one, already had Smash for it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I could just go over to his house and play it. Uh, other than that, I'm trying to think. There were a few others I can't remember, or upon hearing them at launch. Mario Maker, that was a good one. He- hearing everyone talk about the great levels. Uh, I think part of what made Mario Maker on the Wii U so great, actually, is part is the fact that it didn't have as many games as a lot of other consoles out in the era. Because yes. if you look at how long Mario Maker 1 lasted on Wii U, Versus Mario Maker 2 on Switch. On paper, Mario Maker 2 should have had a significantly longer-lasting community. Shouldn't have died down as fast because the Switch had such better sales. But the Switch also has a lot of other options, you know? Yes. And during during Mario Maker on Wii U, people were sharing their codes. People were enjoying playing that game. You know, right. now I'm, the community's not dead. Dead. Uh, if you go to the Mario Maker subreddit, there are still people posting their codes there. But yes, I can tell you, it definitely did not last as long as Mario Maker One did relative to Wii U. But if I had to pick two Wii U games, I wish I had played at launch. It would be uh, Smash Four and Mario Maker. Okay. Uh... I play most. I well, I play and own most of their Nintendo games. Um, I didn't play the Black Maiden, the Fatal Frame game. I didn't pick that one and play it. Which, um, if anybody didn't know, that it was exclusive to the Wii U first, um, because the game is out on like PS4 now, but that's because of Tecmo publishing it. Um, Nintendo published the Wii U version, and I think they also published the Switch version. So if you want to play it on PlayStation, you can. Um, 
but that's technical that's techmo publishing it uh and stuff um we got the wonderful 101 also on wii u um i think that was their second game or maybe uh, their first one before bayonetta 2. i w- want to say wonderful 101 came out first they might yes. have announced bayonetta 2 before they announced wonderful 101 but i think wonderful 101 came out first yes correct um yeah that is true because platinum also worked with nintendo to do star fox zero and you could take that as whatever you want to take that as but uh i think this is when their relationship was really growing um before they started working with other people around um you know catcom had monster hunter ultimate 3 on it uh that's where i play because i have monster hunter try on we but i my i uh i was really getting into the master hunter series on the wii u um and i heard that there's some cut cut monsters and content and stuff but i was kind of shocked that capcom did that you know before it became a big force on the 3ds with master hunter 4 and then now we have world and rise and stuff because like master hunter was also a game unknown to a lot of people even on playstation to playstation owners and vita owners uh, or psp owners that it kind of started out bigger here in the west on 3ds but there was that version of it um you know uh I wish Treasure would have did games on the Wii U, but they didn't. Because Sinner Punishment 2, as great as that game is, it's only on the Wii. It never came to Wii U. Or anything. Oh, that's unfortunate. Oh, it is so good. Um, but, you know, that is kind of the life cycle. A little bit of the history and just going over the Wii U. Um, you know, they sold close to 14 million systems. And I remember when it was going, it was being discontinued. Um, people were going to stores trying to find it for holiday, for Christmas. And yeah. when the system stopped selling or the system were in stores, the games start selling out. Um, now there there are some flops like Animal Crossing, the board game that they had. Um, a lot of people didn't want that, and stores were stuck with a lot of the Animal Animal Crossing, uh, NFCs, um, and like amiibos and stuff. But you had the Animal Crossing cards also that people were into. You just gave me a terrible idea. What if Nintendo does an NFT for each villager, a la the amiibo cards? Uh, I think people would buy it. I hate that you're right. Because well, I wish you I, weren't. I I can't see Nintendo doing well. I can see Nintendo doing it for Animal Crossing, but they may push the Pokemon company to do it. And I think uh, Nintendo actually has very little control over the Pokemon company. Oh so. yeah, I know. Oh oh yeah, I know. But I think if because people relate Pokemon with Nintendo, people would think that if they were doing it, Nintendo might get blamed for it. And it's just like, no, the Pokemon company is doing this. You know, that's on them. You know, they regained the right to that series. Like, if if Pokemon showed up on Xbox, people would be wondering what happened. 
did Nintendo and the Pokemon Company get into a dispute for this game to be on a whole other platform? That's a that's oh that's a discussion for another day. Um, that is. But, yeah, but like that kind of is the Wii U. Like just we didn't go into all of the games and stuff, but it was the ever that like where Iwata was like he's president of Nintendo and that's where he really grew love for the community. Um he didn't get to see the switch um comes to fruition because he passed away um I think a two years before it got announced or something. Uh it was I'd like a, to it, think oh, go ahead. I like to think that he's looking down realizing how uh, how successful the switch is because if there's someone who does if i at risk of you know coming off as someone who loves big corporate heads mm-hmm. uh I, iwata you could tell cared about games you know yes and uh, so i i'd like to think he's looking down seeing how successful the switch is thanks to his influence on the company like he's still a icon, still a legend, still respected. Um, I think he is kind of he was the positive light of video gaming. I think still to this very day he is. You know, people read the read the Axie Water and you just learn so much. And I, there's just something about him that even when Nintendo was struggling and stuff, like one of the big things that people don't understand why when he took that cut you know, his salary so they could keep employees at this at Nintendo and stuff and because of the sales was going on, he was literally showing leadership. He wasn't doing it just because he was like, oh, I'll still make money. He wasn't a greedy person about money. He cared about that company and he literally was driving it in the right direction. Whether a game sold or not, just like you said, Wes, he really cared about games. And he would sacrifice things uh, to make sure that a game would get done uh, and that the quality was there. And I think that's why when people look back at the Wii U, they don't think how Iwata was kind of how Iwata influenced Nintendo and was kind of the representation of Nintendo. But he kind of made the Wii U what it is in a sense. And it reminds you that when you think of the Wii U, you think of him and him being in the directs, him holding the bananas and him like doing wacky stuff and him talking, coming on, being being the president of a big video game game company and speaking in English to the American audience to present this uh, showcase of games that they have planned for the Wii U or for Nintendo in general. Like that was that was unimaginative and you would never think that a president of a video game company would do that. Right. Like if you look at Iwata versus big uh, gaming company CEOs today, like the most infamous right now is probably Bobby Kotick. Yes. Uh, You know, Activision Blizzard in a year where they had record breaking sales laid off a bunch of staff. Satoru Iwata, in a year where he was having historically low sales for his company, took a 50% pay cut. You know? Right. So even if, as someone who wasn't 
invested in Nintendo for that console generation. I had the utmost respect for him. And I loved the direction that he was trying to steer the company and saying, okay, I acknowledge the Wii U has its faults, but I am not about to let the workers suffer because of that. Right. And because I feel like Iwata knew that they could bring us the quality, which will bring us the sales. And in reality, whether you look at it or not, it was like, like I mentioned Mario Kart 8 doing 8 million. Think about that $60 per copy. And they may have did like a $40 deal at some time, like for Black Friday or something, but people were buying it. Uh, was it bundled in with the Wii U by any chance? Because I think that's part of the reason why Mario Kart 8 is the best-selling Switch game, because a lot of people are buying the bundle where it comes with it. So it was at a for Black Friday at a point for Wii U, it was. The the sales that's going now for Switch is not that it's bundled in. People are literally buying the physical and digital version of Mario Kart 8. Right. Deluxe. So they are spending the $60 or $40 Honestly, for next, those sales. Next to Double Dash, it's the best Mario Kart game, so I can't blame them, you know? Exactly. Um, oh, which... Which boggles my mind, and I forgot we didn't talk about this, and then we're, we're going to get to the end. That DLC for Mario Kart 8 only being 13, only being $12. Honestly, not a bad deal compared to DLC for other games. Exactly, and, every, and so many people brought it. And even Hyrule Warriors. I think Hyrule Warriors was, I think, like, Twelve dollars, or maybe nineteen ninety nine, for a lot for that DLC, because it was just like you had a whole other adventure, and then you added more to this. Like when when Nintendo did started doing DLC for that we for some of the Wii U games, you were paying these uh you you were paying good prices, but you was getting a lot of content, right? And people were just like. Hold on one second. How is Nintendo doing DLC right and these other companies aren't? And like I said earlier, it was about greed and Nintendo is not greedy. Now, you know, of course everybody gonna say, well, companies are not your friends. That is true. But I think Nintendo was just like, we're going to deliver you some quality and some and some quantity in our content and we're going to make the price reasonable for it. Right. You know, part of me wonders if uh, now I don't know if this was also the case during the Wii U era, but if you have a switch, you know, switch games almost never go down in price, at least not the first party games. Mm -hmm. Do you think part of how they were able to afford it is the fact that they kept their games full price for most of the console's life? Yeah. Now, I mean, if that means that they do non predatory practices, I like I'm willing to accept paying more if they if they give us a product worth paying more. Does that make sense? Yes. And that's how they they see their product. They were just like, we will understand that if we drop the price, um, you know, because they was doing it for the Wii U, they was dropping prices and making it part of their like 1999 uh, sale thing. But it was kind of just like, since people are buying it and people still want it, we are not going to drop the price because we believe that the investment that we put into this game 
it's worth everything. It's worth what we put in our development budget and stuff. So they're not going to drop the price because, and don't forget, like over time, they were making that money uh, to get their budgets back and stuff because it, it it was a discussion that people were getting on Nintendo for it, but they weren't saying nothing about Activision when they were still charging $60 for old Call of Duty games and people were still buying it. Right. You know, um, even with Sony and stuff that the I think even Sony and part of, and part of Microsoft, why some of them dropped their prices like to maybe 40 or $20 because they did their sales um, the month that it came out and then the sales for that game died so they weren't really making money until probably maybe Black Friday but Nintendo was making so much revenue at $60 because people were just like we need this game we want this game and it wasn't so much about selling uh, selling the game or anything um, it was just that there was a consistent purchase of that one particular uh, that one particular game and it was stayed at $60. The same way that like Mario's Super Sluggers on Wii, it was at $50. And even when the Wii U was out, that game was still selling at $50 on the Wii consistently every month. And when you work in retail, seeing that kind of business, why would you even drop the price if we're making money at the price to point that we got it? Right. I mean, from a business standpoint, it makes sense why they're not dropping prices that yes. as well. I was just wondering if that possibly helped them be a little less predatory towards their DLC practices. Yeah. I mean, uh, I don't know if because there are you see companies today. Uh, I actually wrote an article about this. I don't know if you uh, had a chance to read it, but about why I don't think the $70 game is at the right time yet. Part of the reason why is these companies are doing the same practices they're doing when they had the $60 game. They're still mm -hmm. putting the microtransactions in there. They're still cutting up the game and selling it as DLC. And so if if that practice stopped, the price increase would be justified, in my opinion. Yes. But if you're going to charge more for the game, you can't act like it's still the same price it was a few years ago, you know? Right. And to me, with the $70 thing, it's just that, like, even though it looks a little bit graphically better, it feels like you're paying $70 more for, like, frame rate to like, the game to run smoother. Because, like, some of these new gen games still look like last gen it's just running running better you know right. there's nothing just like oh my goodness because it's just like where are the unreal 5 games and why right. it doesn't look like the unreal 5 tech demos that people presented is it because that that developer is not from epic that work on the game or they're still learning this because when we see, hopefully, when we see first spoken, well, that's the luminous engine. Hopefully, when we see Hellblade or whatever on five on real five game that comes out, hopefully, we see it in execution that it really speaks next gen and it speaks that seventy dollars. Right now, it's just kind of speaking that oh, the game just runs better on this better uh, hardware. Right. That's so. yeah. But I can tell you my experience, Nintendo games are almost all, almost, not always, but almost always worth their price. Yes. 
and and they do such a great artistic job of it that even years that pass when you look at it you'd be like dang this game still looks good when it's running it really does most of the time yes well that is going to be our uh discussion here on standard definition wes thank you uh from world one one podcast for joining me on this discussion um go ahead and plug again uh where can people find you uh, you can find me on Twitter. I am at SMGSLT. I repeat that as at SMGSLT, short for so many games, so little time. Uh, and I'm also affiliated with World One One Podcast, so you can find me speaking sometimes every now and then over there. So go check them out as well. Yes, you guys can find me on Twitter at that retro code. You can check out more Boss Rush content at bossrush.net and also check us out on Discord at Boss Rush Games. If you want to get early access to some of our content, come join us on Patreon. Um, there's various tiers that you guys can join. Um, you would kind of get the episodes early than our normal fee. Uh, check us also on YouTube at Boss Rush Network for some of our shows like Crossroads. Um, Nintendo Power Block and Arsenal X and Talk the Walk and more for that. With that, everybody, have a great week. Have a great weekend. And we will see you next time on Standard Definition. Once again, Wes, thank you for joining me. Everybody, we will see you next time on Standard Definition. Bye. Once again, thank you for having me.